This segment of the show is brought to you by the PGA Tour Superstore. See why golfers everywhere are proud to call PGA Tour Superstore their golf pro shop. Visit them online at PGATourSuperstore.com. Now back to Chris and more of the show. All right, now back with me on the French Lick Resort guest line is the voice of golf, Peter Kessler. Be sure to follow Peter on his Facebook page and over on Twitter, at Peter Kessler. Also, be sure to check out Peter's co- uh, podcast called Reading the Break, which can be found on his websites, either peterkessler.com or readingthebreak.com or over on so- SoundCloud. You can also find it on our website, nextonthetee.net. And no one knows more about the history of the game than Peter does. He's interviewed every major golf figure of the 20th and 21st centuries. When you layer in on top of that his magical voice and thousands of great stories, then you've really got something and someone who is very special. I've been saying over the last couple of years, there are some great contributors to the game of golf and the World Golf Hall of Fame. People like Frank Cherkinian, Peter Allison, Henry Longhurst. But a fourth bus should be in there for Peter Kessler. His contributions to the game through the number of interviews he's done, his show Golf Talk Live, which was the anchor of the Golf Channel, which launched back in the mid-1990s. You know, and, and something too many people either don't know or don't remember about Peter is he was the president of the company that brought the perfect club to all of us, which was at the forefront of the hybrid market. I don't know if we'd be as far along with the hybrids if it hadn't been for Peter and his company. And folks, as you heard me say just a couple of days ago when I had the privilege of talking with Gary Player, it's Gary Player's voice that I hear inside my head when I'm close to eating something that I shouldn't. I can hear him telling me, don't do that. That's poison to your body. And when I'm interviewing people, it's Peter Kessler's voice. I hear in my head saying, okay, Chris, that question or that statement's too long. Shorten it and get out of the way of your guest. Good evening, Peter. How are you, my friend? Uh, it's good to be with you, and I, I'm always flattered to be with you after a major championship. It always makes me feel like I'm high up on the list, and I'm thrilled to be with you and uh, excited uh, that we're going to have this time together. And uh, Peter, I, I want to start out by getting your thoughts of what we saw last week at Augusta National. What, what did you think about the four rounds and the things that took place over uh, Thursday through Sunday? Well, let, let's start with the end of the tournament. You know, we had in Patrick Reed winning his first major championship, and, of course, you had Ricky Fowler, who after not a great series of holes on the front nine, really got it together and put a lot of pressure on Patrick Reed. Jordan Spieth shooting a 64 but and finishing third. But I had such a curious reaction after it was over and sort of a it, – it didn't leave a completely sensational taste to me. And I, I think there's three reasons why. The first one was Jordan knew, whether he says he was looking at the leaderboards or not, that if he birdies 18 that he's in a position to win the tournament or he's in position to be in a playoff – but he's certainly in position to have something good happen, given all of the good things that he had done to that point to get to nine under par through his round for 17 holes with no bogeys on the card. And he makes a complete hash of the last hole. He hits a horrendous drive, and uh, and then he had a chance to go ahead and save his par, and he hit a pretty dodgy putt from six feet that he's had you know, a bazillion times both in play and in practice rounds. And so he knew 
when he was on the tee, whether he says so or not, that if he makes birdie, he's in position. So when he didn't do it and when he made a mess of the hole and finished with a bogey and took a lot of the, the, the gloss off of the 64, which is hard to do, but you can with a final hole bogey that takes you out of contention, he was perfectly fine about the whole thing when they interviewed him two seconds after the round was over. I would have expected a little flash of anger, a little bit of, you know, I knew knew somewhere in my head that if I birdie 18, I could be in great position. But he didn't do that, and he seemed pleased with his 64 as though the bogey at the end, which was an important bogey, hadn't even occurred. And that bothered me that he was okay with it. And then... Ricky Fowler comes in and is all giddy because he edged out Jordan Spieth for second place. And I thought to myself, I can't imagine that Jack Nicklaus or Tiger Woods or our good friend Gary Player, who you just spoke to and who I just saw, they would not have been happy after the round. They might have been gracious after the round, but they wouldn't have been giddy and they wouldn't have already been looking forward to the next major, which is 65 days away or so. And momentum at the end of a Masters tournament has nothing to do with the U.S. Open in June. There's too much time. There's too much that can happen to your golf game. It's a completely different golf course. It will require a completely different set of criteria to successfully get around in a low enough score to win. So I was disappointed that Ricky, who hasn't won a major, that Ricky, who's almost 30 and only has four victories and is behind schedule given how popular he is as a player and how good a player he can be when he gets it right, but he doesn't get it right often enough. And it wasn't good enough, in my view, that he had a great weekend, which is what he did have, and he's had trouble having great weekends. But that's not good enough. You know, at 32, Tiger had 14 majors. Ricky's going to be 30. He's the best player who doesn't have five wins on the P. PGA Tour, and he has no major championships. There's nothing to be giddy about after the round by edging out Jordan Spieth. Is that because the check is bigger? Is that because the check satisfies you in some way? Is that because the check somehow takes the sting away from coming in second because you still won over a million dollars? And Jordan not having a flash of anger at blowing what he knew was an opportunity on the final hole. You know, it's only so good as the, as the close, and it was sensational for 17 holes and nine birdies. It was just absolutely incredible stuff, and the shot into 13 to 10 feet was absolutely amazing from where he hit it and the club he hit it with and how it just cleared the water and cozied up and everything. He shouldn't have been happy. Ricky shouldn't have been happy, and they were happy. And then the third thing that that happened is in your winner, Patrick Reed, you have a guy that golf fans and golf scribes and his peers generally don't like very much. And I think that there are a few compelling reasons for that, two of which are most important to the kinds of folks that like golf. And the kinds of folks that like golf are generally people with integrity, respect for the rules and tradition and doing the right thing and, and, and good character values and good relationships with your family if you can have them. And, and I think Patrick has violated two of the most important things on the list that are important to people when forming opinions about others. And the first one was he was clearly 
cheating in some instances in college on the golf course. There are just too many data points to refute it. There are too many people who saw the incidents occur. Give you a quick example. The team is playing around, this college team is playing around to see who gets to play in the college event the following week against the other college. And so it's a competition. And so on when and everybody was just keeping their own score so the round ended you know it's not a formal competition and so they were just keeping their own card and they said what did you shoot patrick and he said 71 and the other three guys in his group said no he shot 74 and patrick said no i shot 71 and like they did to vj singh and others when vj was accused of erasing the last number on the last hole on a friday in 1984 in asia that with the erasure and the new number got him to make the cut you know, we 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 had uh, a, a, a similar situation here where they ended up calling all the players into a room and they had to go shot through shot the guys in his group of every stroke that he took in the round. And it turned out he had shot the 74 when they added it up. That's a lot of people. That's a lot of strokes. That's a lot of ethical lapse. Another situation, he hits his ball way to the right in a similar situation, playing with his own teammates to see who could play next week. And he hit a ball far to the right, but yet he found a ball close to the fairway. And as he's about to draw the club back, the three other guys converge on him and said, you know, that's not your ball. You know, that's not your ball. And there was a whole ruckus. And finally, he hits the right ball. But, you know, there there were a few of these things that happened where there were where it was more than just his word. You know, this was these events occurred and cheating in golf is something you just don't get a mulligan on not in the hearts of other golfers if i know someone has cheated i certainly would wouldn't want to be playing with them and and i would never play with somebody who cheated ever again and golfers hold that dear tradition integrities the rules the game of golf calling penalties on yourself policing yourself so that's the one thing that has turned people away from him even if they don't know the whole story they know about the allegations at the very least of some cheating incidents uh, taking place over a period of time when he was in college and the other thing is his relationship with his parents now the most common version that we know is that when Patrick was 20 and his now wife was 26 they got engaged and his parents said Patrick you're only 22 you know this woman is a little bit older than you but never mind that you may just be a little bit too young to get married and so Patrick took offense at that instead of having a conversation told his fiance who in turn said to him they're blackballed from our lives forever and essentially that's what's happened since then to the extent that at the open at Pinehurst Patrick's wife had his parents who showed up at the tournament hoping for a reconciliation at the end of a round including with his younger sister who he had had a great relationship with his his then wife had them escorted from the grounds. Now, I don't know how she convinced USGA officials to remove his family from the grounds, but somehow she was successful. So two things that people hold as important, not cheating and being good to your mom and dad. And here are his parents who live in Augusta, five minutes from the golf course, who weren't invited over on the Sunday to come to the round, to enjoy it, to, to have a celebration, to be with him after the None of that happened. People take those two things seriously. Now, when you add to that the fact that 
He doesn't appear to have a good attitude on the golf course, and he's not telegenic. Is a lot of stuff that has that combines to cause people to not have a favorable opinion. It's a lot of information, and none of it's very good. So. Between Jordan's odd reaction, between Ricky's odd reaction, between this indifference at the very best that people in general have for Patrick Reed, left an unsensational flavor at the end of the golf tournament. Now, in fairness to Patrick, he played super golf. Now, the round that he shot on Friday was eight strokes better than the field average. That's the best round of the tournament. The second best round was Jordan on Thursday, who was seven shots better than the field average. And on Sunday, Patrick Reed did what he needed to do when he needed to do it in order to close. And once you saw that Rory was making a mess of things after missing three or four short ones in the first few holes, Rory completely let him off the hook. And he had to be in a pretty good mind, but knew he needed to keep grinding in case somebody got hot. And a couple of players, as mentioned, did get hot. And he held on and he played a good back nine and he made that great birdie on 12 was you know, it was really, really timely. And, um, you know, he got a nice break on 13, finishing on the bank and should have gotten it up and down for birdie, but ended up making a par, but it didn't take him out of position. But he played super golf and he trusted a new move to his swing that would give him a cut shot that looked like an Arnold Palmer finish. And one of the holes he had to use it on was the very last hole on 18. He had to hit a little cut drive when it draws his standard shot. And he hit a beautiful shot and he and of course, he made you know a, a terrific par, and he closed out the victory over Ricky Fowler and by two over Jordan Speed. So you've got to give it to him. He he was third, I think, in overall putting. He was sort of middle of the pack in getting to the green, but effective when he was on it. He was good around the greens. He wasn't three putting, and he did exactly what he had to do on the final day. So all credit to Patrick for an incredible victory, a victory that he won't get his just due for because of the way that people feel about him based on some things that are particularly important to people in forming opinions about others. And Peter, you touched on R- Rory McIlroy, and I wanted to get your thoughts on Rory because, you know, yes, Ricky was right there in second, Jordan finished his third, and both had really good back nines and, and rounds on Sunday. But Rory, to your point, really let Patrick off the hook, right? You know, and we've seen this a little bit from Rory in the past at Augusta. You go all the way back to 2011 when he had the lead and shot 80 to end up tied for 15th. But your thoughts, because I I started to get worried about Rory right from the get-go because his opening tee shot was as far right as I've seen anybody hit it. And he almost went out of bounds. Now he recovered and uh, and made a par, and he, and he birdies two. But from from the from the start, it felt fa- it felt like um, Patrick's drive was a little shaky, and maybe Rory could come in and take immediate advantage, and instead immediately hits it way right. Your thoughts on what you saw from Rory McIlroy, and were you disappointed with how he played? Well, we know that Rory's not a great putter. And Rory knows that Rory's not a great putter. And when great putters get off to a shaky start in a putting round, that's really problematic. You know, 
the winners of the Masters Tournament have all been during the week of the Masters Tournament, regardless of where they're rate, rate, uh, ranked in putting coming into that week for the year. doesn't matter. The Masters is a whole new deal, and it's a completely unique set of greens, and it's a completely different set of skills than most you know tournaments ask you to, to provide on their greens from week to week, you know, which are generally flatter. And so... The Masters winner always putts good, and Patrick Reed putted particularly well, as Masters champions do. When Rory made the putt on the first hole for par, I thought, ah, what a great omen, because that was one of the great pars of all time, from almost OB to a downhill bunker shot to a really, really good splash out to six, eight feet and rolls it in. But it was the three or three and a half footer on two that just made me sick. And I'm sure it made Rory sicker because if he knocks in that little putt, all of a sudden the golf tournament is tied immediately and he's made two little ones in a row. You know, everybody has a relative weakness in their game. He has a distinct relative weakness in his game, which is his putting. And of course he played putted beautifully at the Arnold Palmer, but that's not the Masters tournament. And that means he had a streaky week as opposed to it had been building and getting better and getting better. It's not what happened. All of a sudden he ran into Brad Faxon. They spent a couple hours together. Brad gave him some really good thoughts about outlook and he gave him some good pointers on posture and being a little less tense at address and you know, trying to let that putter actually get behind his hands on the on the backstroke instead of having n- no hinge at all. The really good putters, Crenshaw's had a little hinge, Tiger had a little hinge, Brad Faxon had a little hinge, and he was trying to get Rory to have one to take a little of the tension um, out of the shot, and he did that at Bay Hill, but he wasn't doing that nearly as well or as often at Augusta National. You know, and then he missed a whole series of putts. I think he missed a shorty on three, on four, on five. I counted seven of them through ten holes that were six feet or less, all of which he missed, some of them for birdies. And so by then he was out of it because he knew he was out of it because that hole looked like a thimble to him as opposed to Jordan Spieth and Ricky Fowler to whom it looked like a trash shoot. And so I was extremely uh disappointed for Rory that he couldn't keep it together, disappointed that the whole thing was clearly too overwhelming for him. You know, for a guy who's on the precipice of winning a fifth major, which kind of makes you one of the best players of all time, really, once you get to five, that's a pretty magic number. You know, and Rory's young enough that, you know, he's still got 10 more years. He could easily add another five or six to that total. So he's he's a heartbeat away from his fifth, making him one of the greats. And yet he's a heartbeat away from really being in trouble because if you can't putt at a major championship, you're not going to win it with your ball striking. It just doesn't happen that way. You've got to make the putts inside of 10 feet. And if he's going to be the kind of putter going forward um, where he can't make his putts inside of 10 feet, no amount of ball striking can save him. Now, the other disappointing thing about Rory's game to me was his iron play with with scoring clubs was fairly atrocious. He 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 was really his distance control was not good. I mean, I think of the just to pick one pitch. You look at the one on nine. He had a little wedge in his hand, and he made the mistake that Greg Norman made uh, against Nick Faldo in 1996, and he threw it onto the front 
on the false front in the front of the green. The thing rolled back, and it's an impossible up and down. And um, so his distance control was really off, and he was missing in places that you just can't miss. And uh, so I thought it was a telling round in that he is absolutely insecure still about his putting, no confidence whatsoever. And his ball striking under pressure was not good either. So, you know, all of the things that he had done well for the first three days to get himself in position to be in the final group, he did none of on the final day. The tee shot that you you mentioned on number one, it was the goofiest swing. All the body parts were moving in the wrong direction, and he took the club way outside, and then it came way inside. And then, and then as he went through the ball, his body moved to the right instead of to the left. I mean, it looked like something a recreation player would do and a recreational player would hit that shot a howling slice to the right but he brilliantly finished the hole so I thought okay that'll right the ship for him especially after the six footer and as we know that didn't happen and that took a lot of pressure off of Patrick Reed when he realized that Rory who he's generally had success against you know he he beat him in the singles Ryder Cup match you know he Rory doesn't bother him and I'm sure Rory didn't bother him after he missed the three putts on two three four and five or whatever it was, through two, three, four, five, and six, even maybe, and it was just you know it was just a horror scene. So I thought uh, this is going to cause him some angst because it goes through his entire game and his course management. And his confidence level. You know, it's not just like one thing now that he's got to shore up. All of a sudden, his distance control on his scoring clubs is is, is askew. And uh, the dry, he only hit eight greens when everybody else was hitting a zillion. And he had the worst score of the top 15 or 20 guys finishing in the tournament. And uh, so, no, it was uh, very disappointing. And he's got to go back to the drawing board. And I'm not sure exactly how he's going to do it. But he certainly wasn't the player on Sunday that he was the previous three days. And I wonder how much the moment caught up to him. This is the chance to close out the Grand's career Grand Slam at the Masters. Only Gene Saracen did that in 35. And, you know, to become, the, you know, one of very few guys who owns all four career Grand Slam events, you know sitting at home on your table. And so I'm hoping that the moment wasn't too big for him, that it was just one of those days brought on by some poor putting early and then his swing started to fall apart. Um, So I've got grave concerns about him, and I don't know what to make of it at this point other than just one round, played good earlier in the year, played really well at Bay Hill. We know he can do this. He hit enough good shots in the first three days. We know he's a great ball striker, but he's got to shore up the 100 yards and in. He's got to shore up his putting, and he's got to take a look at himself on his longer shots and make sure his sequence of events is better so that he can have rhythm again, which lets him have tempo again. And so you, you've got to get the sequence right before you can get the rhythm right, before you can get the tempo right. And he's he's, he's got work to do on all those issues. Peter, one more before we let you go. And you put out on social media that Jordan Spieth got a swing lesson at the Champions Dinner from Jack Nicklaus and Gary Player. I know you spent some time with Mr. Player watching the final round on Sunday. Do you know what uh, what they shared with Jordan to help him with uh, with his game? Well, it was it was more of an invitation than a lesson. It was Jack and Gary said to Jordan at the dinner, 
we don't like certain things about your swing. We think your grip is too weak. We think you have uh, your takeaway needs work and you need that left arm connected to the upper part of your left side when you go through the ball. The disconnect in the chicken wing is not going to be a player long term. And would you come down to Jack's Golf Course in Palm Beach, the Bears Club, and spend a few hours with me and Jack working on your game? And it was the three of them sitting there, and Jordan said, I would definitely come down. And then Gary did a whole demonstration in his living room showing me what Jordan, showing me and all of his guests what Jordan was doing now in his backswing, what he needed to do in his backswing, what good players did in their backswing, why Arnold's backswing wasn't good, why he didn't win as many majors as he could have because he had a bowed wrist, and that's why Dustin Johnson's not winning enough. And sometimes uh, Jordan speeds wrist is bowed, and he doesn't want to see that. He either wants it absolutely square or better yet with a little cup in the back of his left wrist at the top of his backswing. So um, it was fascinating to have Gary tell me that. He'd tell you anything. There's nothing you can ask Gary Player that he won't tell you right away. But then he started telling everybody how great Trump was, and there were a lot of eyebrows getting raised around the room because I have a feeling Gary doesn't exactly really read the news. He just hears some stuff, and he has played with Trump, so he thinks Trump's, Trump's a good guy. So... <laughs> and uh, so we, we, we had a great time with him and his doing the demonstration. But I think that Jordan's going to take Jack and Gary up on the offer. Oh, well, that'll be exciting to hear about. So hopefully uh, we can uh, we can get, either get back the word from you or uh, from Mr. Player about how that turns out. That would be to be a fly on the wall to see that happen would be outstanding. I would like to be there, Peter. too, my friend. If I am, I'll take a little video. I appreciate you. Peter, before we let you go, let our listeners know, remind them again, how can they stay up to date with all the great things that you're doing, whether it's online over your website or over social media as well? I'm not doing so many great things right now, so that's a short list. I'm writing a book, and my goal is to now finish it by the end of May. And uh, so I'm trying really hard to write every day. It's a very difficult discipline, but you've got to write between a thousand and two thousand words a day, and then you can get the sucker done. And I, I've got some podcasts up on my website, peterkessler.com, but I haven't added to it for quite some time because the stories in my podcast, which are very brief stories, Paul Harvey esque kind of things, is what I was shooting for. You know, five, seven, eight minutes of really fun stories, but I think the stories are probably better served in the book and not on the podcast and not on both. So I sort of cut back on that for the moment. And then when I finish the book, then the stories that I haven't used, I'll, I'll throw up in, in, in some more podcasts. And I'm working with some people who are trying to get me in front of a camera again to do interviews again, which I would be thrilled to do. But a few of those have come up and they don't quite... Uh, come into picture and so i'm hoping this time uh i get lucky and i get a chance to to bang out some shows again like the old days well peter we're i'm certainly rooting for all of those things to happen and there's no better way for me to spend a tuesday night than to listening to you share your stories and your insights and it's just never enough time so i hope uh, you'll come back again real soon share more of your stories with us and uh like i say there's no better way for me to spend time uh, talking golf than there is uh, really listening to golf come from you. You're fantastic. Well, dude, you're my biggest supporter, and you've been a great fan, and more importantly, you've been a great friend of me over the years, and I love the show. 
And, you know, not everybody prepares like you do. Not everybody knows their guests as well as you seem to know yours. And you go to the areas where you know that they're most likely to tell their best stories. And you always do that with me. You always sort of nudge me in a direction where I think, oh, I've got this one, I've got that one. And it's it's always great for the interview subject to be steered towards that which he knows the most about and you've got a great instinct which comes from doing your research and your preparation of each guest on knowing where to take them so i'm always thrilled to do the show i think you're as good a pro as there is in our business and uh people just think the world of you and i do too and it's a great show and i listen to it when i you know i listen to the golf show i don't i I don't know as much about football so i'm not as big on the tailgate and don't take that personally but i never miss (laughs) many i don't miss many of your golf shows and you know for those of you who don't listen regularly listen regularly because one of the great things about chris and his show is it's really consistently terrific you know some guys can bang out a great show because they get lucky and get a particularly great guest or something but chris makes everybody look good and even takes people who aren't comfortable doing doing radio and somehow makes them more interesting than they really are and that's a great gift and uh and and you've you've learned to to set it free and um and that's one of the great things that you do when you have a gift is you 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 just let it run and you let your gifts run and it's uh, it's terrific stuff well i appreciate you saying that and i learned all of that from you my friend so thank I'm you sure. so very much peter for, for care, your buddy. time tonight all right man talk i'll talk soon. to you soon peter all right. i look forward to it take care Bye. That's a great Peter Kessler. And again, peterkessler.com. You can find his podcast and stay up to date with what Peter's doing and over social media and listen to his insights and all that sort of thing on, uh, on uh, Twitter at Peter Kessler. And he's got a Facebook page as well.